Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Our adventure today takes us down to Atlanta, where we're visiting with the the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at the Fox Theater, Jimmy Vosmeyer. Welcome to the broadcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. You just, am I right about this? You just survived a Hamilton on sale, right? The the 15th Hamilton on sale for this same engagement. So <laughs> this is on sale for three years. <laughs> because we're because we're post-pandemic, is it is it different? Is it how what was the vibe? What was the feeling this this go around? Well, so it was mostly virtual. Um we did have some folks in line. <laughs> I did not expect to be emotional. Um, at a little after 10, I um, walked out to greet uh, the guests that were in line to buy tickets. And I was like, we're so glad you're here. And before I got your here out, I'm not, I was like, we're so glad you're here. And it was really, really, it was actually sweet and really cool. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean, because the first time we opened doors up uh, at Nationwide Arena here for, you know, our 10% capacity, but the first time I saw fans actually walking through the door, uh, and then when our national anthem singer started, and it was just, I I got goosebumps and uh, tears in my eyes, right, because it's just that feeling of of community that it's what we love about this industry, and it's something we we missed uh, quite a bit over this. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today, Paula, and I thought, you know, you were great because you kind of come from a a different perspective on the theater side of things. So talk to me a little bit about the Fox Theater, you know, its place in Atlanta and and what the past, you know, year has been like for you guys. So the Fox Theater is a 4,600 seat theater in the heart of Midtown Atlanta. We um, were 91 this year. Um, 91. Yeah. And, you know. I Good think it's so cool. The theater's 91. I feel 91. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. Um, I'll say this about the Fox. If, if you're not familiar or folks aren't familiar with the Fox, we're an anomaly in that we are kind of grouped in with performing arts centers, but we're kind of operate like a small arena. We have, you know, with almost 5,000 seats, we, we get everything. Um, so that's been an amazing ride for the past 15 years that I've worked here, you know, getting to work on so many things um, and being uh, lauded. The, the venue is just, you know, we've been the number one or number two highest grossing venue in the world for our size. So, you know, right here in Atlanta, this old, this old theater. And so, um, you know, it, <laughs> it's really cool. I, I promise I'm not going to spend all this time bragging about the Fox, but it's just a great place where you can come and see, rock and roll or Broadway or, you know, it's, it's just super cool in that respect. All that to be said, and this theater seen its days. I mean, 91 years in Atlanta, we survived a wrecking ball in the seventies. We survived the great depression. The building was built during the great depression, you know, 
and our doors haven't hadn't been closed since like 1974 so you know 17 you know no revenue as everyone listening is like duh um you know it was it was scary it was really really scary but we're we're slowly but surely ramping up we're bringing folks back to work and i'm grateful to talk about something other than personal protection equipment and <laughs> if i if i never have to say social distancing again i love it so <laughs> yeah i think the fox in atlanta i mean it's definitely if anyone's seen photos of it from the outside it's so gorgeous and i know you all did uh if i'm not mistaken a, a handful of years ago kind of renovated and created this new hospitality club that is amazing and incredible looking but something that is so amazing that I would love if you know if you want to speak to it, but like this Fox name, which obviously, you know, the Atlanta one is one of the marquee, if not the marquee one in the country, but there are all these Fox theaters that are all, if I'm not mistaken, from those 20s, 30s era. And it was sort of this name that some of them, I, I'm gonna not gonna lie. I went down this Wikipedia wormhole last night. It was super fascinating. I'm a, I'm a bit of a uh, venue geek, so I, I kind of like did a little bit of looking up, and then next thing I know, like an hour later, I can tell you all about this random Fox Theater in Boise or something. But it's, it's really fascinating because the architecture is so unique on them. They're all these sort of relics of another era, but that have been saved. Almost every community, or, you know, some of them are not, you know, a lot of them got demoed back in the 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s. And then some of them have endured and been renovated. But I mean, I think that's such a fascinating thing, I think, about those venues in specific. And is that something that you talk to the other Fox theaters or is it do you all just kind of exist in your own bubbles is it something that you wave your flag about or sort of are competitive about is it a little of everything I think it's a little bit of everything so we are uh you do know a lot about the Foxes by the way the holy smokes um <laughs> Fox theater expert um the uh that's right so, you know when the DOJ broke up William Fox's uh monopoly of these theaters I think what um I have to always remind myself as opulent as our venue is you know um William Fox his idea was that your uh he was a movie mogul so he built these palaces all over the country to show his movies. So when you think about our venue right now, if we had to rebuild this venue, should something happen and we have to rebuild it, it would cost $300 million wow. just to structure back up. You know, we couldn't do it. And, right. you know, and to think about that, to just to show movies. And that's that was the case for all of them. He wasn't interested in, you know, vaudeville shows or whatever. He was showing his films. So I think what makes this uh, interesting and I think a little bit relevant, Paul, to what you said, as far as some of them going away, we went through a time where we just didn't value historic buildings and we didn't value historic venues. And if you look, and I've learned a whole lot about this since working here, theaters kind of became the cornerstone of uh, revitalizing downtowns. So um, the Fox Theater actually 
specializes in historic preservation and we've taken great pride in preserving this um, building and we're committed to it. Um, it's part of our mission um, is to preserving this building. And we've also taken that out into other historic venues across the state of Georgia, um, where we provide support to historic venues that are in need of help, be it financial support or, or otherwise. So anyway, did I just did that any of that make sense at all? <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, it's it's really interesting. And you know, it reminds me, I I saw a story on uh CBS Sunday morning, their early morning program that was uh about the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. And they're they're celebrating their 150th. But they, they did an interview with a woman whose job was she was the archivist of the venue and kind of charged with with tracking the, the venue's history. And, uh, you know, as, you know, we're all puffing our chests about a big 20th anniversary celebration. You know, you hear about, uh, you know, 91 or 150, right? So so who's in charge of the archives and the history there? Is, that, is it all just boxes in the basement or is there, is there somebody who's like really got some some passion for it within, within your, you know, your venue? So we have a director of the Fox Theater Institute. The woman's name is Lee Burns and Lee, um, we actually have an archives department. Um, we have... Wow. It's a it's a temperature controlled. You have to wear white gloves. Really? Like, what? Museum? No joke. It is. Paul and, and I are coming down. We're coming down. We'll put on the gloves. Please come. And it's. I mean, what's weird to me is that it's literally a door away from my office. <laughs> you know, and it's cold as crap in there. So, and they said it's two hundred degrees in Atlanta. We just go. Everybody's huddled in archives. But um, yeah, there's everything in there from like candy bar wrappers and um, weird things that was found when they built the Fox. There's a bucket wow. that we found in a wall, all of our records, all the records that we've ever had from back when it was a movie theater, all through the various iterations, the original blueprints, there's art in there. I mean, all of our show posters and that sort of thing have all been digitized. So that archives not, but it used to hold every show poster. Um, and in, I don't know if you remember, but in like the 40s, well, they still do it. Movie theaters have those giant cardboard cutouts of whatever. We have some sure. of the original from, you know, Singing in the Rain and from, you know, oh where, from, you know, when the theater showed that originally. So anyway, it's amazing that someone has like held on to that if it was that long ago, you know, I like I know, for instance, in my previous job, we had a theater under our umbrella and it was you know, a very, very old theater. And we found these like old photos that were in the local paper that showed a lot of those cardboard sort of things or whenever they would have a movie premiere or something, they would decorate the entire outside of the theater to kind of make it this event. But just the fact that some of that survived is incredible. You know, I mean, it's hard enough to find a photo of it, much less actually have pieces of it left over. So we have every article of furniture in our venue, about five pieces of furniture are missing, but we went back to the original um, inventory list from when William Fox's wife purchased all the furniture and all the lighting and everything. And we've been, we've managed, I mean, I do think that there's something to be said about all the people who've been responsible for this venue over the past 91 years who cared so much, but our furniture's curated like museum pieces. We know what the fabric thread count is and this one's filled with horse hair and this one's this. Right. 
It's the craziest. Like my brain is full of so much useless information. If I ever left here, (laughs) I could talk to you about mohair and like what? Anyway. (laughs) Oh, our plans underway for the hundredth already. It's got to be a whisper around the building already, right? So you're, it's funny. Yes, we are. We actually have a meeting this week about what does the hundred look like? And, you know, and who knows if everyone is going to be, you know, here when we celebrate a hundred years and nine in nine years, but we are going to put the blueprints down starting this week. Now, Jamie, uh, you know, obviously a lot of history and uh, historic events there at the theater over the years, but one kind of, you know, recent uh, you guys hosted the final concert by Prince. Am I right about that? You are very right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wow. We, we had no idea. Uh, obviously, uh, it was going to be the very last time. Prince is like my number two favorite artist in the whole entire world. Um, I worked both of those shows and holy smokes. You're in good company. Mr. Rettelberger is quite a bit of a fan himself. Yeah. Just a little because bit. Stevie Wonder, <laughs> then Prince. Okay. Then- all right. Than everybody else. Yeah, I get that. I get that. So, I mean, it was it was a situation where he. Uh, uh, this is my uh, nerddom coming out, but you know he had to postpone the show because of health issues, and then end up doing two shows. And this was his piano and a microphone tour, right? Uh, so was, and there's there's some a lot of you know bootleg video on the the internet because it was the last show. Uh, ended up uh, quite uh, proliferating, but it's just Prince on stage there at the Fox Theater behind a piano, and uh, just a, a, a magical night. You know, I've provided the most famous words, no comment, to every single major media source, I think in the world. <laughs> I've yeah. never, ever been more, I'm no kidding. I talked to everyone from the New York Times to Rolling Stone, where we, we're not allowed to talk about it. So I was just like, well, no comment. But it was fun to say, and somehow people got my cell phone and I was getting calls and it was crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. TMZ parked in front of the venue. Um, Our venue turned into a memorial for a while. Yeah, Um, sure. And, you know, we're 250 events a year. So after his passing, we allowed the the memorial to be created. And it was actually very beautiful. But people would put candles and helium balloons. We were getting a heck on social media because... I, we, I had to blow the candles out. I was like, guys, fire and helium. We can't, we can have it. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, now, you know, obviously we talked a lot about the theater and, and uh, I appreciate you kind of giving us a little bit of the insight there, but I want to talk a little about you uh, and you kind of ended up in your current role in a way by accident, right? A hundred percent by accident. It's a great story. If you don't mind sharing it. Oh, sure. I, um, I worked for the phone company um, and God bless them and everyone who works for the phone company. I had started out thinking I was going to be a social worker. And then I started having children and realized I'd had to pay for those children. And it was just, <laughs> couldn't do that. <laughs> so I, I took a job with uh, corporate America um, and became a trainer and did all this stuff for, for Ma Bell. Uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and everywhere. Anyway, it was kind of killing my soul. And we got transferred back to Indiana. And I was like, I want to, I love Broadway. Let's buy season tickets. And as a joke, I was like, are you guys hiring? And they were like, well, yeah, we are. Send us your resume. And the rest is history. I took a humongous pay cut and 
jumped the fence, knew nothing about, I, I was the, I managed um, settlements, box office settlements, which is a terrible thing. It was a terrible job. <laughs> That's how it happens for so many of us. <laughs> I was like, you want me to what? Oh, okay. Well, I don't even know if I can, I had to learn Excel, like, ah. So anyway, it was, it was, um, and then I worked for Broadway for five years and through various contacts at conferences, I'd made a joke about uh, loving Atlanta. Broadway had sent me to Atlanta to preview uh, Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia just opened and uh, Atlanta was like the second place on the tour. And they sent me to, I'd never been, I'd driven through Atlanta going to Florida, but um, I'd never been. And so I was here for, I don't know, two days and came to the Fox and just made as I was fell in love and then made a joke at a conference and was like, if you're ever hiring and I don't know how many years later, like four, four years later, five years later, I had an email that was like, hey, this opportunity is coming up. So I came to the Fox to manage their group sales and we had um, an international series. Uh, so I managed the uh, Delta International Series where we brought entertainment from all over the world, you know, the f- flying nuns of Krakow and whatever <laughs> <Yeah>. other entertainment <laughs> we edited out. I don't know where that came from. Um, but we had this crazy entertainment, um, the Lyon Opera Ballet. Anyway, I did all that, managed our arts education programs. And I think I just managed to kind of like infiltrate my way into every department and I just gained a whole lot of institutional knowledge and um, had a little bit of marketing background and um, from working with Broadway I kind of helped there too and um, lo and behold I now inherited all of the revenue generating departments and they trust me with a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) We can literally say Jamie that your career is a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> I'm qualified done, to teach third grade. <laughs> joking around with buying tickets and then joking around at a conference. But it is sometimes, you know, a previous guest of ours, uh, Kim Allen from Sacramento kind of said, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, that was her kind of thing. And so just kind of the thing by just you throwing it out there, you know, it, it kind of led to this, this, what has become a good chunk of your life. It, uh, yeah, tw- 20, 20 some years, I think. Uh, with all that box office settlement and excel knowledge it's just (laughs) here we go now it's gotten a person that knows excel really well is just so valuable you know they'll make it to the top (laughs) i think i speak for a lot of us in this industry of that first time that you kind of you you made it through the interview and then you're in the job and you open up excel and you're like all right i gotta figure this out (laughs) (laughs) i think that's every day still for me you know youtube has been great by the way just as a as a as a uh, i always say my interns i said there's anything you don't know how to do now you just pull it up on youtube and find somebody will teach you how to do it that i i could have used that resource 20 years ago oh yes when i worked for the phone company they had a this is really going to date me but we had like a pool of people who like I would just say I need a sales report and I needed to do this I needed to do this and they were like okay you can have it by blah 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 and I would just get the report and then I just filled in like I didn't have to so when it came time to actually have to do it I was like who who does this for me (laughs) (laughs) no you do it for you yeah exactly (laughs) so your current role you're your vice president of sales and marketing 
but you know that, that encompasses a lot and I, I know that you know coming from you know just starting off with you know, the Broadway side so kind of walk us through kind of what you're doing there what's the what's the actual job my my actual job I actually oversee marketing ticketing uh, sponsorships we have a tour program honestly anything that doesn't have a food component that generates revenue lives in my world um, so I work with our directors and just kind of strategize, you know, from 50,000 feet and kind of make sure everybody stays on the, on the straight and narrow. I have the most amazing team here from ticketing, marketing, all of that. It's, it's incredible. Um, the people that we, we have attracted, um, and who, who work here, I'm, I'm very, very lucky, but that's, that's what I do. In a nutshell, it sounds like no, it is. It's a lot, right? And so, you know, obviously, you have, you know, with the with the theater element plus the the music element. Is there a lot of difference between you know uh, marketing uh, from you know Hamilton to marketing a, you know a rock concert? Uh, there's a huge difference. I think the biggest difference is um, we are a partner with Broadway across America, or Broadway in Atlanta, and they market the the Broadway show. So. Um, we help, we, we support um, Broadway shows, but we're not doing the soup to nuts. We're not in it like we are with other, with other shows. Uh, but yeah, it, it isn't, it isn't, you know, at the end of the day, we, we have Broadway fans, we've got rock and roll fans, we've got Fox theater fans who just want to come to see everything. Um, so and it might be an advantage you have in that what you mentioned is you operate kind of like a small arena and also a performing arts center and all these sort of uses that probably unique to you, you are hopefully able to cross market a bit more than any other venue would. You know, if, if you're just in an arena, you're kind of cross marketing between a lot of other arena shows and the yeah. same with the theater. So, you know, you might have that unique opportunity where you do have a Hamilton fan that might be interested in some other show. And there is some sort of overlap there that you're able to really take advantage of that other people might not be able to. I think we're really, really lucky in that respect. Someone reaches out to us, I think, every day to say, hey, can we do a list trade? Can we? <laughs> because we have such a, I mean, we really do. We are real lucky in that respect. So when you uh, got into this role uh, as, as VP of sales and marketing, before that, you were director of group sales education and mm -hmm. community outreach. So talk to me a little bit about that role. Um, before I did that, I, um, so group sales is what I ended up doing at Broadway and I actually, and I did sales for the phone company. So I think when you've got that, Hey, I can sell you whatever. Um, you know, I think sales, if you've got sales in under your belt or you you can sell things, you can kind of chart your path if you're smart. Uh, I loved that job, believe it or not. I, I loved doing that. I loved our arts education programs were incredible. We had um, Broadway, we did Camp Broadway. We did um, several Broadway camps. We partnered with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater and did Ailey Camp. So we had these great arts um, education programs, but we as a company, the Fox decided those, those were not an arts organization, we're a roadhouse. And our, and our mission is to preserve and share the Fox so our outreach kind of changed and we focused our outreach on historic preservation. And so those programs went away. At the same time, an opportunity came about to the Fox had a new position, the director of ticketing. And I, 
I was interested in, and that's how I kind of moved into understanding how to generate ticket revenue. We left um, one ticketing platform and brought a new platform in that was white label. We started with Pacquiolan and that kind of gave us this entrepreneurial footing that was like a blank canvas for, for us and for me. And so I think looking at opportunities to, to uh, increase revenue and be creative with ticketing. Um, and, and then I also would, I was like, ticketing and marketing really need to work closer together. So I moved the ticketing and marketing departments together as one. And then, I, I, so then everyone got moved into ticketing and marketing and it's all under sponsorships. They're all, they all live under one umbrella on purpose because they work so closely together. There's not the, well, ticketing said, well, marketing said, well, you know, it's everybody's in one, that still happens, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but we all live together in one happy family as, as opposed to the silos that we were in before. Well, and it's all sales, like you mentioned, you know, you're selling sponsorship, you're selling tickets, you're selling, yep. you know, the venue, you're selling the history, membership. you know, it's uh, member. Yeah, I mean, it's all kind of related in that regard, but also in theory, they're all helping each other, you know, all, yep. all, all of them doing well only benefits the others. So I think that makes so much sense. We talked to a couple other people that did talk about that sort of synergy between ticketing and marketing and trying to prevent them being in their own silos and having some sort of loss of communication. So I think that seems like one doesn't strategy. exist without the other and one's not any more important than the other. So it's, yeah, it is, it makes sense. Now you, you touched a little bit on, you know, on, on being a part of the community. And I know that's important for you personally, because you are on the board of directors for the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, uh, as well as a, a VIP committee chair for the Atlanta Pride Committee. So talk to me about what, why those groups specifically, you know, uh, are important to you. So the, I joined the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. You know, there are a lot of being connected to our community is important to the Fox. Everyone has a Fox story. Everyone has this affinity to the Fox. And for whatever reason, our connection to the Hispanic community has been, um, we just don't have one. And it's been my, uh, my mission since I started here to kind of bridge that gap. It's a, it's a, it's been a tough road, but just to make sure that, you know, we're not marketing to folks when we need something from them or when, you know, so joining in and saying we're, we're all in the same community, you know, we want you to love this venue as much as everyone else does. So that's why um, it's been important for us and for me to join, to join the, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and then Atlanta Pride has, they're just a great organization. And um, it was another opportunity for us to bridge a gap with a community that we um, weren't as connected to. Um, so we we're like, let's, you know, put our money where our mouth is and become a part. I love that. I love that, you know, it's been more than just, you know, doing a post on social media, actually being involved in, and making them part of that. By the way, you had the thing you just said, everyone has a Fox story, mm. right? I don't know. Have you used that as a marketing campaign? Because I feel like that that could be your idea. You pitch at your 100th anniversary meeting because everybody's got a Fox story and it'd yeah. be a great little umbrella to share, uh, you know, a uh, hundred of those stories or, or, you know, there's just so many. Uh, Dave's, Dave's uh, just doing the work for you right now. You well, can take I, it in look, your meeting. You really don't... are. So um, we're going to have to reinvent <laughs> that one. When we turned 90, we uh, launched a campaign called I Am The Fox. 
and we told our story first person because everyone has a story. We've never really done a great job of telling our story. It was the first time I ever got to work on commercials. It was so cool. We created um, five commercials and then we do have a place now on our website where fans or guests or uh, people who love the Fox can share their Fox story. And we've seen hundreds and thousands of people who've told about, you know, I got, I had my first date there in 1963 and I still, you know, we've had people, we have people who met here uh, literally on their first date and are, and have come to work for the Fox together. They're the Sprayberries um, and they, they work here and they, you know, there really is something about it. There's something about it. And, you know, the Fox belongs to Atlanta and Atlanta uh, is good to us. You've talked about Atlanta and being a big part of that. And you're a huge part of the community there, but you started off as an Indiana boy. So you were born and raised in, in Indiana. Uh, uh, where did your love of, of music and, you know, live entertainment, where did that come from? Uh, music always for as long as I can remember my mom was a single mom until I was 11 years old and my I'm going to tell, tell way more information than I probably should on it but my biological father I just knew god my mom is going to kill me he was a musician and so I was fascinated by that and so I knew factually knew that my biological father was either Elton John or Stevie Wonder <laughs> so I walked in until I was like six years old, uh, and I'm not kidding, I, I was convinced that my biological father was either Elton John or Stevie Wonder. <laughs> I cannot believe I'm telling this story. Anyway, um, they are, uh, so my mom was like, no, you, dude, no, neither one. I don't know them. <laughs> it's not human. <laughs> so um, I don't know if that, so, you know, I, I, as a, even a little kid, I was drawn to the radio more than I was listening to kitty music or whatever. So as a child, I had records. I had Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life. I had The Carpenters. I had Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Like those were my records that I listened to as a little boy, which is weird. But, um, but I loved music. And when I was able to go, so there's this um, R&B band called Zap. Roger and Zap from the 80s um, and I was 12 years old and I kind of didn't tell the truth to my grandmother and I walked to this show it was caught it was seven dollars and fifty cents sat in the front row and it changed my life and so you know I went to see this R&B band you know the, the SOS band was there it was really a cool thing you That's know awesome for $7.50. I had to come clean though. Catholic guilt set in. By the time I got home, my grandma was like, <laughs> why are you home so late? I was 12. Like if my, I have three kids. If one of my kids went to a concert by the, like by themselves at 12 years old, like no, anyway. Absolutely. No, no, no. It was a different era. Uh, yeah, <laughs> That's that's awesome. Uh, Zap band, uh, definitely a, a great funk band out of uh, out of Dayton, Ohio. Out of Dayton, Ohio. Yes, uh, well, they have they have a little funk uh, museum downtown there with uh, some Zap band stuff. If ever you're you're back in the Midwest, uh, I'll have to check that out. So you know Atlanta, uh, you know now uh, where you're at, and 
we talked a little bit about, you know, the Hamilton show, but you have a lot of stuff going on sale. Events are starting for you within just a couple of weeks of this recording. And um, how are ticket sales? How are things going? What's the feel of the city? So ticket sales are good. Um, I think we all anticipated everyone has just been dying to do something. So we, all we have to do is put a show on sale and it's going to blow the doors out. Um, ticket sales are really, really, we're encouraged. Um, they're, they're really, really good. I think, and I say we, it, I'm speaking for myself. I expected everything to sell out. Uh, just put it on sale. It's everyone's going to buy the tickets. Tickets are a million dollars. Nobody cares. Um, what we're seeing is ticket sales are happening just like they were happening in 2019. So we're, we're, you know, we are very lucky. We don't, it's not very often that we have a show that's not successful, which again, sounded really boastful, but we we're really lucky. And so tickets, ticket sales are good, but there, to me, there's no uh, post COVID magic happening where people are just clamoring to buy tickets um, I think there's a whole lot of inventory out there. Everyone went on sale with everything at the same time. So now people were, you know, we could kind of measure, well, this is happening over in this venue and this is happening. Everything's on sale everywhere. So now people are like, you know, what the hell? Yeah, I think that is probably the the other side of that, that w- you know, wishful thinking that everyone had of, you know, oh, we're going to sell a million tickets is, every venue is thinking that and they're all going up with all the events at the same time. So then it's sort of like the buyer's market. You basically can look at your city and say, well, I got the pick of the, you know, whatever I want. And, and it kind of allows the consumer to be a little more selective on what they want to do. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's good that things are looking like they did in 2019, you know, it's not any sort of negativity below that. So that's good, but it, but it is maybe something that's, counterbalancing that excitement to return. Yeah, I definitely think so. Well, you've had a lot of uh, Beyond the Fox, a lot of great stories. I appreciate you sharing with us today. Before I let you go, we like to hit you with a fast five. It's five quick questions that uh, uh, I was looking for your immediate response. Up first, what was your, your very first concert? Obviously, other than maybe Zap Band, I guess. We got that one, all right? Well, my very first big concert was um, Tina Turner. How about your favorite wow. concert? My favorite concert, probably Prince at the Fox. Your favorite word? I can't say that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> How about your perfect <laughs> vacation destination? Um, Mexico. Uh, last question. Uh, what is, what's your theme song? So uh, when uh, the the cameras follow you around there at the Fox Theater and then then back to home and uh, what is what is the the what is Jamie's theme song the TV show about your life? Oh my God! Uh, let's go crazy. <laughs> that's, that was that's usually my answer too. I love that. I love hey, that. you mentioned you mentioned the website where people could check out uh, the the uh, people's Fox stories because I think that's something that a lot of people might want to take a look at. Uh, can you give us that website address as well as where people can reach you if they wanted to uh, uh, get in contact with you? Sure, you can uh, look at the Fox Theater at www.foxtheater.org, and theater is spelled T H E A T R E, the swanky way. <laughs> um, and then if you want to get a hold of me, it's Jamie.vosmeyer. Um, V-O-S-M-E-I-E-R at foxtheater.org. 
Awesome. Hey, I really appreciate your time here today. Uh, some great stories. Best of luck Will, with the 100th. We look forward to hopefully seeing you down the road at an EIMC conference, but uh, uh, great getting to know you and the, and the Fox Theater a little bit better. Thank you guys so much. It was so much fun. Thanks so and thanks much. to everybody for listening to today's episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hoover. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venue Land is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing Strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.